Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 podcast, where we share the sermon of the week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. We're in a series that's going to be, well, it's going to take us at least through next year to get it done, I think, maybe, at the rate we're going, but that's okay, right? I mean, the word's been around for several thousands of years. It's not going anywhere, and we're not going to consume it, so we're just going to take our time and learn some lessons as we go. We are now in Romans chapter 3. We've got through the first two chapters where we addressed um, all the people's groups, the Gentiles, the Jews, and everyone. This is a, a book written uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the people of Rome. That's why it's called Romans. It's written by Paul. He's on his third final missionary journey. He's held up in a town called Corinth, which is right outside of Athens, and he's on his way to Rome. He's sending this letter to them to prepare them for his arrival. And so the title of this series is Unashamed. And so we begin our time together with you standing and reciting the verses with me that are our theme verse, if you would. This is verses 16 and and 17 of Romans chapter 1. Are we ready? Here we go. And the first four words, by the way, are the most important here, right? So let's do it together. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Right, you may be seated. Praise the Lord. All right, so uh, there's a lot of territory to cover today, and I don't have a lot of time. So here's what's going to happen. Um, typically, I'll read from the NIV and occasionally the KJV, but this chapter, at least the first couple verses of this, the first, the first 20 verses, are really... Uh, really easily digest in the message Bible. So I believe we have the message, Joey, ready? Okay, so here, here we go. Here's what it sounds like. So what difference does it make then who's a Jew and who isn't? So remember, up to this point, we've been hammering the Gentiles, we've been hammering the Jews, that there's really no difference whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised. So Paul presents a, the- a hypothetical question, a rhetorical question, doesn't really need an answer, but he does it, he, he postulates, and so he, he's saying he's going to answer their argument about what, what, what in the world does circumcision really matter then if what we just learned in the last sermon, in the last chapter, is applicable. So he says, so what is the difference then between Jews, uh, who's Jew and who isn't? Who has been trained in God's ways and who hasn't? Well, as it turns out, it makes a lot of difference. But not the difference that you, you may have assumed. First, there's the matter of being put in charge of writing down the caring for God's revelation, these holy scriptures. So in other words, he commends the Jews because, hey, if it weren't for you guys, we wouldn't have the scriptures of Isaiah, Jeremiah, of, of Genesis, and so on and so forth. So he's commending the Jews. So it really doesn't make a whole lot of, it does make a difference, but you, you guys have kept the scriptures for us. We appreciate that. And of course, he was a Jew himself, right? He was a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, all was. So what? Verse 3, so what if, in the course of doing that, some of those Jews abandoned their post? God didn't abandon them. Do you think that their faithlessness cancels out his faithfulness? Stop there. Just because you're stupid doesn't mean God is stupid. (laughs) Right? Verse 4, not on your life. Depend on it. God keeps his word. 
even when the whole world is lying through its teeth. Don't you love this little, this little thing here? He says, your words stand fast and true. Rejection doesn't phase you. Like God doesn't get his feelings hurt. Because the truth is the truth. Verse five. But if your wrongdoing or, uh, only underlines and confirms God's right doing, shouldn't we be commended then for helping out? In other words, if I, because I sin so good, God's grace looks so much better, so shouldn't I be commended because I'm such a great sinner? He's answering these questions. So since our bad words don't even make a dent in his good words, isn't it wrong of God to back us to the wall and to hold us to our words? These questions, they come up. The answer to such questions is no, a most emphatic no. How else would things ever get straightened out if God didn't do the straightening? Right? So it's simply, a, it's simply perverse to say, if my lies serve to show off God's truth all the more gloriously, why blame me in God? I'm doing God a favor. Some people are actually trying to put these words in our mouths, claiming that we go around saying, oh, the more evil we do, the more good that God does. So let's just go ahead and keep on sinning. That's pure slander. And I'm sure you'll agree. We're all in the same sinking boat. So where does this put us? Do we Jews get a, a break better than the others? No, not really. Basically, all of us, whether insiders or outsiders, start on identical conditions, which is to say we all start out as sinners. I know that's not a popular word. You you know, lovey-dovey, all-inclusive, everybody's good, nobody's got no foul, everybody gets a trophy church. But he says we all start out in the perverted pile, right? We're in the clearance bin, we're destined to go to Salvation Army, right? That's original sin he's talking about there. We're all in the same stinking boat together. He said sinking boat. I said stinking boat. You, mean what he, you know what he says. We're all in the same boat together. It's not good. Original sin. Well, little Johnny, he's just three weeks old. He's such a pretty little baby. Yes, he is, but he's dead in his sins and his transgressions. His nature is to, well, let me just say this. People talk about it. Oh, man, I do not have the time to go there, but I'll take two seconds. People talk about a sin nature, but the nature is really not sin. The, the, the nature is really a death nature because the byproduct of sin is, so you're destined to die. You'll die twice. If, you remember the old saying, if you're only born once, you'll die twice, but if you're born twice, you'll die once. Think about that. So we're all in the same sinking boat. We're all... Leaves no doubt. Scripture leaves no doubt. Verse 10. There's nobody living right. Not even one person. Nobody who knows the score. Nobody alert for God. They've all taken the wrong turn. They're all wandered down blind alleys. No one's living right. I, 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 I can't find anybody living right. So he's going to describe what humanity looks like now. Here's what humanity today looks like as well. Their throats are gaping graves. Their tongues slick as mudslides. Every word they speak is tinged with poison. They open their mouths and they pollute the air. <laughs> Try to fix that with global warming. I don't know how you fix that one. They open their mouths, they pollute the air. I can think of a number of categories of people that do that. They, here it is, they race for the honor of sinner of the year. Where's that up there? They race for honor. Oh, yeah. Reminds me like watching the Academy Awards, the Golden Globes. <laughs> they litter the land with heartbreak and ruin. 
They don't know the first thing about living with others. They never give God the time of the day. This makes it clear, doesn't it? That whatever is written in those scriptures is not what God says about others, but to us to whom these scriptures were addressed in the first place. And it's clear enough, isn't it, that we sinners, every one of us, every one of us are sinners. So um, in our time here today, I'm just going to address three little portions of scripture, pericope, and that's... uh, First of all, Romans chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says, no one is righteous. No one is righteous. What shall we conclude, verse 9 then? Are we any better? Are we Jews any better than the Gentiles? That's what he said. Well, not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the same sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous. Notice that there's not a period there because what happens? We as juveniles, you with children, we are children of God. Oftentimes when there is an emphatic declarative, we go, yeah, but. No, you tell your child, no, we're not going to go to the store. Yeah, but. No, you can't have candy before dinner. Yeah, but. There's no yeah, but here because he says, no, 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 no. Just so you understand, there is no unrighteous, comma, not even one, he removes all exceptions. So I don't know who you know who's the nicest, kindest person on the face of the earth. Loving, compassionate, generous. Their soul is still black with sin. They're guilty as charged, headed to hell. Why? Because of the rejection of Jesus Christ. No one, God doesn't send anyone to hell. Hell is not created for you. Hell was created for, the, 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 for Satan and the demons. That's who it was created for. You're not supposed to be there. But when you reject Christ, because that's the answer that you have to give when you stand at the goal, when you stand before him on, at the great white throne, at the judgment seat of Christ, you're gonna, he's going to say, why should I let you in? Well, it's not because you went to Destiny Church or you carried a King James Bible or you didn't smoke or cuss or chew or go with girls that do. <laughs> not because you paid your tithe and you sang how great thou art every Sunday and you cried hot tears in the altar every week. None, none, none of that matters. It doesn't matter. Who is Jesus to you? Who is he? Who is he? You got to say, well, he, uh, he died for my sins. He, he is the king of the universe. I give my life to him. He is my savior. There's nothing I could do except to accept that free gift. Confess him as Lord. That's why you can let me in. Very good. He says, enter in. I, did you enjoy last week with uh, Pastor Joshua from Africa? Gosh, he rang my bell with this. He rang my bell with this. There are actions that some Christians have that think they're going to get to heaven with that's only the equivalent of coming to the airport with a stack of Louis Vuitton luggage, which, by the way, is one of the stupidest things you could ever do on the face of the earth, unless you just have money to burn. Because the gorillas that handle your luggage, I'm sorry if you're a luggage handler, the gorillas that handle your luggage don't give a fooey about your luggage. So you can show up to the airport with the most beautiful luggage. I'm talking about trying to get into heaven. You bring a tote, you bring a, a dolly full of all of your good works. Look how beautiful this is. I'm surely going to get, I'm surely going to get to what, what form, you, you know, let's, let's all pretend heaven is Bali. 
Who wants to go to Bali? Who wants to go to Bora Bora? Two places I want to go, which my, my wife has not yet relented. She, she's shaking her head. <laughs> Bali or Bora Bora, I want to go to both those places. I don't know if I'll ever get to French Polynesia, but, but I'd like to go to those places. <clears throat> so I show up to the airport. I have all my Louis Vuitton uh, luggage. Uh, how awesome, because Bali, Bali, Bali is, uh, uh, Bora Bora, Bali is, um, is heaven. So I go and I say, look at all the good works. You should surely let me fly on this airplane. And what does the person behind the counter say? And no can do. I'll say, well, here's my ticket. Here's my ticket. Look at all the money I spent, I gave to make this happen. I gave so much money to the church they could build a new wing on that facility. Surely I can get in with all this suitcases full of good works. And on the ticket that I, that I bought, does that, does that, do that, do they even care about that? No, what do they want? They want your passport. You know what that is? That's your identity. That's who you are. It says, this is who I, you go to a foreign country, you think your driver's license means anything? No. That little blue book says, I'm a citizen of the United States of America. This is who I am. And if you lose that, you're in deep trouble. You got to go back to the consulate. You got to go back to the embassy. They got to verify you are who you say you are. That's how important passports are. And by the way, if you ever think I'm going to travel to foreign lands for God and I'm going to be a missionary and you haven't even got the gumption to go get your passport yet, you're fooling yourself. Okay, I digress. So now, that goes back to Hannah's word from, the, from uh, last week or so. So being prepared. So what does it take? Well, you got a passport. I'm going to tell you something. You don't get a passport to heaven from your grandma. Now, grandma would love to give you one because grandmas do everything for their grandbabies. They would pay for it three times over. I don't care if it's $1,000. I'll pay it. That's what the grandmas say about grandchildren. I'll do it. But your grandma cannot get you into heaven, sir, ma'am. What about moms? What about dads? Mom and dad can't give you the passport that gets you into heaven. Only you can go down, answer the questions, get your photo taken, slap it in a book, and there, now you can go. Now, buy all the luggage you want. I don't care if it's Louis Vuitton or Walmart. Listen, give all the money you want. Build all the hospitals you care to. That's great. That's awesome. Those are byproducts of being a generous person. But that's not going to get you into heaven. This is what Paul is saying. No one is righteous. No one's going to get in. Unless you got your passport. Because when the shadows of this life are grown, I'll fly away. Like a bird from prison bars have flown, I'll fly away. Then I'll fly to Bora Bora, to Bali, to heaven. So who does it? Only God can give you the passport, right? And what is the passport? Righteousness. Because no one, you, unless you have, unless you're right, you can't get in. The book of Habakkuk the book of Habakkuk says God can't even look upon evil, right? So if you think you're going to get into heaven with like a little smudge on your wedding dress, because right, we're the bride of Christ and you're supposed to be, you will be presented like a bride without spot or wrinkle. Can you imagine a bride on her wedding day spills her red fingernail polish? Huh, ladies? Or smears her lipstick? Or uh, spills coffee down her front? Sorry, you're not going to get into heaven with a spot or a wrinkle. You've got to be spotless. So how do we get, in, how do, how do we get this righteousness? 
How do we get the passport? 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him, who's him? Say Jesus. Who had no sin, right? He was the spotless lamb to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, when we say I'm going to be in Christ, then his righteousness covers me. But when you start out doing your own thing and you're not with Christ, then all of those stains, all of those wrinkles, they're on you. And in the moment that you have to stand before the Lord, he's going to say, wait a second, you weren't in Christ. His righteousness wasn't covering you. You were, you were playing a game in church. 1 Corinthians 1. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, he is our righteousness. He is our holiness and redemption. So here's the, here's the question. Easy question, begs the question. All of what I said, why wouldn't someone want to accept that passport of righteousness? Doesn't cost them anything. Why wouldn't someone willingly, joyfully say, are you kidding, that's how I'm gonna get to heaven? I just have to accept Jesus as my, as my Lord and Savior? Why doesn't that happen? Well, we just read it in Romans 3.18. It's in our text. There is no fear of God. There's no fear of God. That's what it says. Where's the text? Can I see the text? 318? There's no fear of God. Well, you know, pastor, that just means uh, to be respectful, right? I highly respect to the fear, the fear of the Lord. To be, well, that's a reverence for God. No, let me just give you a wake-up call. You ever heard of the sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God? Jonathan Edwards, check it out sometime. Anyway, there is no fear. This word fear, right here in the New Testament, I'm going to tell you what the word is. It's phobos, where we get the word phobia. I have a phobia. What is that? That's a fear. That's a fear. Here's the definition. To be put in fear, alarm or fright, to be exceedingly afraid, comma, terror. There's nothing about healthy respect there. You know why people don't live a righteous life? They don't fear God. I'm talking about respect. I'm not talking about honor. There is no fear in them. They don't fear anything. Especially they don't fear God. Well, Proverbs in the Old Testament, Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That is the word reverence. That's the word reverence for fear. That fear there is not terror. That fear is a healthy respect. But please don't misunderstand the two definitions of the word fear I just gave you. Because we want the soft definition of fear. Oh, just a holy reverence for God. I don't fear, they don't fear God, a holy reverence. No, no, no. The reason people don't live a righteous life is they got no fear of God. I mean, by fear, I mean, listen, it is a terrible thing. Hebrews 10.31, uh, it is a dreadful, terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You got to fear the Lord. There is no fear of the Lord. That's why people don't live a righteous life. I'm going to give you an earthly example in a video. Kill the lights, run the video. Empty shelves at this Walgreens drugstore. And it's not because of pandemic-related panic shopping. Now the store is closing due to what local reports are calling a spree of rampant shoplifting. 
And look at this. Just 15 minutes after an Inside Edition crew showed up at the drugstore, we found this guy jumping over the front counter, taking an airbed, and leaving the store on his scooter. No questions asked, no one stopping him. The drugstore is the third Walgreens to close in San Francisco this year, and there's real concern that the people who live there are losing an important resource for their neighborhood. All the seniors that live around here and all these buildings now have nowhere to go to get their medicines. I take my baby to buy food and buy milk and juice. Former NYPD Lieutenant Darren Porcher says the store employees should not be faulted for not physically stopping the shoplifting. It's best for those employees to deal with the situation in a safe and sound way as opposed to putting themselves at risk. That was at the end of last year. Target now closes every store in San Francisco at 5 p.m. The CVSs are all closing at the time of that video. Three Walgreens were closed as of today. All 17 stores in San Francisco of Walgreens are now closed. Due to rampant shoplifting problems created by the passing of Proposition 47. So Proposition 47, study it out this afternoon. Check it out. Proposition 47 in San Francisco says this. It is now no longer a felony. It's only a misdemeanor to steal anything, to shoplift anything under the value of $950. It is also no longer a felony to be in the possession of stolen goods of less than $950. So in effect, it is now... A misdemeanor, which means you might or might not get a ticket if a policeman happens to be there seeing you do it. It's on the same par as jaywalking. So you may not even get a ticket. If you get a ticket, it's just a misdemeanor. This is what San Francisco has done. Right now, in America today, no Walgreens in San Francisco. CVS is closing. CVS is, are, are out and uh, all the targets are closing at five o'clock. That's, as of, that's, of, that's of in the last five months because of Proposition 14. They decriminalized basically shoplifting. I mean, just that's just one short little video. I mean, video after video. I mean, there were some that were pretty crazy. People just walking in with suitcases, just pulling every, every cosmetic off the shelf. Because now what they're doing, the drug lords are sending people in to do all of this, bring it out, then they sell all the stuff in the black market. And it's just, it's just a way to finance the black market. What does that have to do with what we're talking about? Well, when there's no fear of the police or the judge, when there's no repercussions of breaking the law, what happens? People do whatever they want. There's no fear. There's no fear. When there's no fear, they go wild. They go crazy. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 29. Since then they have hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. They didn't choose to fear the Lord. Since they would not accept my advice and they spurned my rebuke, they, they will eat the fruit of their ways and they'll be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Who? The people that are just out living their life without the fear of God. But whoever listens to me, verse 33 will satisfy in safety, be at ease, without fear. So what's the problems? What's Paul addressing? Number one, no one is righteous. And the reason that no one is righteous, not one, is because there's no fear of God. You tell your child, don't stomp your foot like that at me. Don't slam your door. If there's no repercussions, if you don't do anything, what do they do? Oh, it escalates. 
go to a public school today where teachers, I had my backside tanned by a public school teacher. Shop teacher made his own paddle, put holes in it, and I was the recipient. Well, I deserved it. I shoved a number two lead pencil into somebody's arm. You didn't want your kid hanging with me in high school. I'm just telling you that. He ticked me off, and I swung around in, in drafting class and just jammed a pencil in his arm. A sharp one, a drafting pencil. Screams bloody murder like a little baby. <laughs> a teacher comes in, Mr. Helmer, how I can remember his name. I see his face right now before me. Mr. Helmers. What's going on in here? What happened? Kid holds up his arm with a pencil sticking out of it. And everybody in the room points at me. Eric did it. Mr. Hansen, come here. We can do this one or two ways. He's talking like this. Mr. Hanson, we can do this one or two ways. We can deal with this like men out in the shop, or we can go down to the principal's office. Your mom and dad are going to get involved. Oh, I do not want mom and dad involved because whatever I get here is going to be pale in comparison to what I would get when I got home. You know why? You know what straightened me up? Fear. Well, it's, it's terrible to control your children by fear. If they don't have a beyond a healthy respect, but a fear. I'm talking about beating your kid. So he says, all right. He got out the paddle. He even had a little leather strap on it so it wouldn't slip out of his hand. <laughs> I got three of them. Whack, whack. And in an empty shop, you know, hard cement floor, it echoed like, like horrible, like the crack of a whip. Snap, snap, snap. <laughs> all right, it's all good. Went back in. A little difficult to sit down, but we got it done. For weeks, weeks on end, weeks on end, I'd be checking myself in the mirror naked. Look at that, I have... I have little, I have like lines of, lines of uh, holes where the, where the paddle whooped me so hard. Let me tell you the moral of the story. I never stuck another pencil on a kid's arm. <laughs> no one righteous because no, one, no one's in fear. Healthy fear. So, here's why it has to be, there has to be a consciousness of sin. Okay, because the law convicts. Romans 3.20, and we'll finish up. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, it will be con- he'll become conscious of sin. Unless there is a standard, don't do that. Unless there's a standard, a goal, clearly laid out, you will never know if you've hit the mark or not. Imagine baseball, up to bat, umpire calls strike but there's no strike zone. And after the third swing, I get a fourth string. I get a fourth swing. I get a fifth swing. Until I hit, hit the ball finally. Sounds like Little League today, doesn't it? Oh, they get five strikes. They get eight strikes. I just let them stand up there and keep swinging. That's not how it works. There's rules. Oh, he ran to third base first. Isn't he cute? No, he's stupid. He needs to run to first base, and he runs to second base, and he runs to third base, and if he gets tagged out, he's out. Can't get another chance. He's out. Basketball with no hoops. Basketball with no referee. Football with no sidelines. Football with no goalposts. Archery with no targets. Well, it's stuck right there on the side of the speaker. 
right? So, 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 so what, is, what, what, what does the world do today? They know. They, first of all, they run over and they draw a target around what they hit. That's what they do. That's what they do. Look, give me a trophy now. Make me barf. That's ridiculous. We laugh because it's true. We see it every day. My granddaughters are going to come over and spend the night with us uh, this afternoon, and um, they're they're amazing. <laughs> that was their mother hooting to the fact that she wasn't going to have children this afternoon. So, so they come over. And Davina, she's she's. Uh, Oh, is she five now? Right, she's five. Davina's five. And so her thing now is mermaids. I don't know if, 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 if that's a thing or not with you in your life, but mermaid is an important thing to me right now. And so she has like a mermaid swimsuit tail. So when she's in the pool, she can actually look like a mermaid, right? So we put this little floaty thing over the stairs, and, and she now is in charge of the world because mermaids are in charge of the world. And so, Grandpa, what are we going to do? And now she's, she's going she's gonna to make up a game. Grandpa, here's the game. Here's the rules. I'm a mermaid, and I have a squirt gun because that's what I have. That's what, that's what I do in the pool. <clears throat> so I, I, I'm ready to squirt anything. So you can't squirt me. The rules are you can't squirt me unless I come out from underneath this floaty. I said, okay. You come out from underneath that floaty. I'm, I'm, I'm nailing you. I'll, I'll pelt you right between the eyes. I don't care. You cry like a baby if you want. I'm hitting you with the squirt gun. And I got some PSI, baby. I can push that thing, and it's going. So I'm waiting for her. I'm waiting for her. I'm waiting for her. I'm waiting for her. She swims out, stays underwater, and she swims back under like this. You go, ha, ha, you can't get me. So you wait. I'll get you. So she comes out, and she gets a little closer. Then I think she's not out. I, sh I shoot her. I shoot her. I squirt her. Grandpa! You can't do that because I was almost back. I'm changing the rules. <laughs> Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things were created by him and for him. You know what that means? Because God is the ruler of the universe. He gets to make the rules. When Davina is at, in the pool, she's the ruler of the pool, she makes the rules. I got her swimsuit that says that. In fact, she does have a swimsuit that says, I rule the pool. <laughs> the point is this. When she's in charge, she's in charge. She can do whatever she wants to do. She's, she's, she's sovereign, if you will. The Lord is sovereign. I just read to you out of Colossians. He, 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 he created the world. He created the universe. Who are we to try to change his rules? God said, no. There are, just like in football, uh, you can rinse and replay all you want, but the rule is the rule is the rule. The goal is the goal. The sidelines are the sidelines. The target is the target. You get three strikes, you're out. That's the rules. The way God has made. But not in today's society because we all want to make our rules. That's not fair. <laughs> you give a little, little lower lip quiver to God. You know what God says? Your tears do not move me. Amen. Your tears do not move me. What I have said, I have said. This is what we read earlier on. 
It's what we read earlier in the paraphrase. Do you think because someone mocks God, he's going to change his rule? God says, no, I made the rules. These are the rules. And they're the rules for everybody. Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Well, pastor, you're talking about Old Testament law. You're talking about keeping rules. You're talking about the Ten Commandments. That's old. That's passe. The new covenant has come. No, no, no. The Lord says, I've not come to do away with the law. I didn't do away with the prophets. I've not to come to abolish them. I actually fulfilled them. I'm going to tell you the truth. Verse 18. Until heaven and earth disappear, which I last checked, it's still around. Unless heaven and earth disappear, not one letter, not the smallest stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law. Till everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments. By the way, this is written in the New Testament. Anyone who breaks the least of these commandments, teaches others to do the same, will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does what? practices and teaches. You know what I'm doing right now? I'm trying to practice in my own life, but I'm teaching you right now. There is a standard. There are rules to being a Christian. You call them what you want, but these are the God. These are the sidelines of being a Christian. Well, I want to see how close I can run to the edge without falling into sin. Why on earth would you try to see how close you can be to sin rather than how close you can be to God? For I tell you this, verse 20, this is what we're talking about, righteousness, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Who were the most righteous people of the day? Pharisees, the teachers of the law. I mean, those guys were crazy for the law. They were crazy for the law. I mean, everything, all the way you wash your hands and how far you walk and the tassels on your, on your talit and, and what you could eat and what you couldn't eat and how you made fire and the way that you, you prepared a meal and the way you gave the offering and the words that you said, down to the, and unless you're more holy than that, you don't even stand a chance. This is why I love this Hebrew word right here, Jehovah Titzkenu. Jehovah Titzkenu, this here is a tetragrammaton. This is the, this is the most... This is the most closest thing. That sounds weird. This is the most. This is the closest thing we have to the name of God in the Old Testament. This right here. These one, this is a letter. This is two. This is three. And this is another letter. You can see how these these two look the same. This looks the same as that. This is a yod. This is a Hebrew. And you notice I'm reading right to left. This is uh, the Hebrew letter yod. Um, this is the letter in it, the English equivalent would be an H. We call it a, a hey. So it's a yod, hey. This letter is called a vav or a wa, V or a W. Um, and then this is a, another hey. So what you have is a yod, hey, vav, hey. This is the name of God as, as raw as it gets in the Bible. Yod, ya, ya. V, v. Ya, v, ha. Where we get Jehovah from. This is where we get the English word Jehovah. The word Jehovah is not in the Bible. This is the closest you get to it. These four consonants. No vowels, just four consonants. We take the vowels. Early translators take the vowels of the word Elohim. And insert those. But you tell Jehovah's Witness the word Jehovah isn't in the Bible, they'll just fall down dead right there on the spot. <laughs> but it's fun. It's, it's, it's fun to do. So <clears throat> this is Jehovah. 
This, this is, this is the, in fact, if I'm a, if I'm a Jew and I'm reading, and I'm reading this, I don't even pronounce this. If you ever talk, have you ever seen like a Jew write the word God, they won't spell the whole word. They'll put G dash D. They won't put, they won't, they won't spell the name God. This is why when you see this, you'll see people say, a Hebrew, this, this is really down the rabbit hole, but it's kind of fun for me because Hebrew was my language in school. <clears throat> so so when, they, when they see this, they won't even pronounce this. They'll just say the name. They'll say the phrase, the name. They won't even say the name God. When you, if I was a translator, not a translator, if I was a scribe and I'm making, and Paul wrote this or somebody wrote this and I'm making a copy because we didn't have Kinko's back in the day. The only way you got a copy is I made a copy. And there's people whose job there was the copy. They were scribes. That's all they did all day long. They wrote. So they're writing scripture. Can I pull up the Hebrew, the Hebrew text, please? So you're writing scripture and you, and you, and you, here it is. What I just showed you is right here. The name Titzkanu. This is from Jeremiah. So they're writing, and when they get to the name of God, yod heh vav hey, before they write it, they go, they put everything down, they go wash their hands. They come back, they pick up a brand new pen. They write yod heh vav hey. They set the pen down, they go wash their hands, they come back, and they continue to write. Talk about a fear of the Lord. Talk about the righteousness of God. So I digress. Here's the text. Right there, Jeremiah 23. It says this. The days are, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will rise up. I will rise up to David, a righteous branch, a king. This is prophesying about Jesus. A king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he is called Jehovah, the Lord, our righteousness. No one's righteous except God. His righteousness is what you have to have. You, your, your righteousness is like filthy rags. I really try. Great. Please keep trying. Please do awesome things because your unrighteousness doesn't make him shine all the more. You just look stupid. That happens because no one fears God. But we need the law because the law convicts us. If there was no law, how would we know? In fact, let me just tell you this. I know I'm tight on time, but this is an important point. The reason, when you read the Old Testament, every verse in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Yes, there's historical. Yes, there's poetic. Yes, there's major and minor prophets. Yes, there's all of that. There's the Chronicles. There's, the, the, there's all of that. Deuteronomy. There's all of that. But all of that does one thing only. It says Jesus needs to come. There needs to be a sacrifice because you can't keep all these rules. You can't keep all these regulations. Well, then Jesus, then the Lord came along, laid down what? Ten Commandments. Listen to me. He said the Ten Commandments, right? Well, that's what we need to do. We need to do that. Have you done all that? Well, yes, I have. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. Come on. Why? There's rules. There's sidelines. You're on the first base, second base, third base. There's rules in this thing called living a Christian life. Well, that's so hard. Those Ten Commandments, I can't even remember them all. Okay, 
So then Jesus was asked by a very wise man, he says, what, what, what's the most important? Jesus says, I'll just sum them all up for you. Every, every commandment, every law of the prophets is summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor yourself. You can remember those two, can't you? Well, yes, I can. He wasn't trying to make it easier for you to keep the commands. He was showing you absolutely how futile it was for you to try to keep the commands. Because I don't think anybody in the room has loved the Lord their God with all of their heart, all of their soul, all of their mind, all of their strength. And if you've even barely got to that point, there's no, there's not a snowball's chance that you've loved your neighbor as yourself. Because when you bought a new car for you, you didn't buy one for the neighbor on either side of you. When you bought your kids all their school supplies, you didn't buy school supplies for the whole neighborhood. When you went on vacation, you didn't bring everybody in your family on vacation, heaven forbid. <laughs> Right? So you didn't love your neighbors yourself. God, Jesus wasn't trying to make it easier on you. He was just summing it up. This is how difficult this is, people. In other words, you can't have enough righteousness to be good enough to be in the presence of the Lord. So how do we fix that problem? A, you either totally disregard the fear of the Lord and you live your own life and you, and you mark your course for hell. Or you say, you know what, there are rules, there are standards, and I have a healthy fear of the Lord. It's a dreadful thing to be put in the hands of a holy God. I delight greatly in the Lord, Isaiah says, for my soul rejoices in God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation, arrayed me with robes of righteousness. Look here, I'm going to close with this. He's clothed me with two things, the garment of salvation you're saved. But then also he has arrayed me with another garment, a robe of righteousness. There's two garments. There's the garment of salvation and there's a robe of righteousness. They go hand in glove. Unless you have the righteousness of God, you, uh, let me speak personally. Unless I have the righteousness of God, just from heaven on me, I'm trusting because I am in the Lord. If I'm not in the Lord and he in me, I don't stand a chance. I mean, he is the, he is the Captain America shield of my life. He is, he's the, he, he, in him we live and move and have our being. That's what Paul said about the, 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 the philosophers in Athens, but he was, he was using that as a way for them to understand that you had to be in Christ. You have to be in Christ. Without that, you're hopeless. You have no hope. Well, you know, the United Nations will figure it out, and the president... <laughs> The president, he'll figure it out. And then there'll be world peace when we save the owls and we make all the water clean and we straighten out those politicians and everybody becomes the party of whatever. And what are you smoking? I know, I know they've legalized it, but, but, but please, please, you know what I'm saying? Well, it's legal, Pastor. We should all smoke it then. Well, you know, I have, a hard enough, I have a hard enough time making good decisions when I'm in control of my faculties. I don't need help making bad decisions. Thank you very much. Jesus. 
Well, the government said I could. <laughs> yeah, the government says you can do a lot of things that are bad. It's stupid. Well, oh man, I got so much to say. I don't have <laughs> Well, you're trying, you know, you're trying to let, you can't legislate morality. You're stupid. That's what I think you are. Of course we legislate morality. What does it mean to say thou shalt not murder? That's morality. So unless you have a place that is an unmovable truth, you may as well be a, you may as well be a dung beetle <laughs> rolling down the sand dunes of the Sahara. You're going to be, I don't even know what that even looks like in my mind, but I see you as a dung beetle rolling down the sand dunes in the Sahara on a way to nowhere fast. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, there is right and there is wrong. There's a holy God that says, you need righteousness. Well, I, I, my rights, I try, I try, exactly keep trying, keep living a, a right life. There are rules to this game called Christianity, called living a life of righteousness. But at the end of the day, when you stand before God, it's not your Louis Vuitton luggage and it's not the ticket your grandma gave you. You've got to stand your own two feet and say, I have the righteousness of Christ in me, on me, not of my own account. I'm simply trusting that I've been adopted by the king of the universe who made all the rules. <clears throat> Those adopted children are no less children. They're children. Okay. <laughs> Listen, I love the book of Romans. It's a great book. We get a lot of truth there. So hopefully you're, you're, you're in it to win it for me on the series of Romans. Oh, he's preaching on Romans again. I understand. I get it. No, no, no. No, it's fresh. It's new. It's live. It's awesome. And I encourage you, pre-read this stuff before you come in. You know, it's just, it's going to help you a lot. Also, continue to pray. Uh, continue to pray about the whole Benedictine situation, you know, and, and what's going on there. Very exciting things um, on this, our fourth anniversary weekend. So why don't you all stand up? We're going to pray and be dismissed here. I want you to come here. Are you able to get up on here or should I come down? I'll come down. You want to try to come up here? Yeah. All right, let's do it, girlfriend. One, two, three, and move. All right. If I said all this and you leave here today without an opportunity to give your life to Jesus, it's just really, you know, you should have just gone to the Knights of Columbus or had a, had a Tupperware party or, or, a, or, a, or a essential oils party or something. You know? Listen, all that's good, but Jesus is going to make the difference in your life. The power of the Holy Spirit, living a life, says, I am broken. I am, listen. I'm not standing up here as the paradigm of anything other than to say I am probably as broken. I'm more broke. I am. I'm useless without him. Without him. And so I find, I find my satisfaction in knowing that I want to do good things. I want to help people. But at the end of the day, I got to trust in the Lord with all my heart. Lean not on my own understanding, but in all my ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct my paths. And in the end, I'll, I, oh, the circle be unbroken. May the circle be unbroken in your family. Yes. By and by, Lord, by and by. So, Father, we bow our hearts this morning. We ask that if there's someone here today that, that just needs to needs the assurance of your garment of salvation and your robe of righteousness, 
that right now, Lord, they just lift their hand up. Right now, if you need to make sure that if you were to die today, that you'd be in his presence, just raise your hand to heaven. Cheryl, why don't you pray for us right now? Thank you, Father. We surrender to you. Yes, Lord. And say you are Lord of our life. Yes, Lord. And God, we give everything to you to make our unholiness holy and righteous. Thank you, Father. As we honestly face you and we honestly see where we're at in our relationship with you. God, thank you for this challenge today to live a righteous life. Holy fear, God. And knowing that in the end you have the say. And we want that passport. And I just thank you, Jesus, for every person who surrenders to you and says, yes, yes Lord. come into my heart. You are Lord of my life. Yes, Lord. I will filter everything through the Holy Spirit. What I say, what I do, what I think. We surrender to you, Jesus. Give us boldness and strength and as we walk out in this world. And thank you, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask that the uh, Connect Group leaders come down front uh, and be our prayer line today. If you need prayer for anything at all, healing in your body, assurance of salvation, we're here to pray for you and minister to you. You don't have to run off. You don't Otherwise, have to be a dung beetle. Yes. God bless you all. Have a great afternoon. We'll see you next week. If you need prayer, come on. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, more information about this message, or to support our ministry. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.